It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we do expect it to be an exciting Virtual Bible Study for tonight. Uh, welcome to the program for January nineteenth, two thousand and twelve. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. As always, on Thursday night, we look forward to getting together for some Bible study over the Internet. It is a weekly occurrence, and we do look forward to it, and we hope you do as well. And We hope that you look forward to participating in tonight's program. You do so by calling 800-877-381-4567. It's the 800 number. Questions at collegeview.com is the email address to use. And if you'd like to join in the chat room with other listeners, it is to the right of your viewing window. You can log in there with no personal information required and uh, be a part of the program tonight. We look forward to hearing from you again on the virtual Bible study as we talk about a uh, subject that we're carrying over from last week. Last week we started talking about denominationalism and asked the question, is it acceptable to God? Is it pleasing to God? Uh, We didn't get very far last week. We were sort of, well... Well, we kind of got we, well. We kind of chased some rabbits, and we didn't really stay on point. So we're going to try to do a little better with that tonight. But let, let me, for those who may not have caught last week's program, let me give you the email that sparked our conversation. We got this email from one of our listeners who said, "I've been pondering a scriptural question. I've long understood the error and need to condemn denominational and denominationalism in any church." What I have grappled with is whether or not Christians within the setting of a New Testament church have scriptural authority to make judgments regarding whether attendees of a domination will necessarily be condemned to torment. I've been a little uneasy about that judgment. Uh, I know that they are in a scripturally wrong condition, but I do not presume to know what specifically God's judgment will be in this situation, and therefore I have been content to carry on teaching others about why denominationalism is wrong without telling them that I believe they are necessarily going to hell. The issue I'd wrestle with is whether we should be in the business of making broad assessments about whether denominational attendees are necessarily going to hell. I think there's a good deal of Scripture to serve as a caution for those who may wish to make this type of broad judgment. Um, And so that was the question. And last week we got into the discussion of defining denominationalism. But we really want to get to the heart of of the matters, whether or not we can say that people who are... Maybe if I re- rephrase this, people who are involved in denominational error, can we say they're wrong? Can we say that continuing in that error can cost a person's soul? Uh, that's that's what we need to talk about. We've got several emails, Jacob. We some have, carried over from last week, and some new ones. We're always we looking for to get to those as well. We're always looking for more input. Anthony is behind the controls tonight. Anthony, you listened to the program last week. Uh, were you dizzy? Yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't think it was maybe quite as bad as as you might think, but it was a great discussion and lots of important information uh, discussed for sure. But looking forward to the follow up tonight. Well, right. Jacob, let me let me review our questions that we've got out there. We talked about the first one last week: define denominationalism mm-hmm. and and whether it's right or wrong, whether denominationalism is defensible from the scriptures. Now tonight, what we want to go to, and this is really the key question. 
two that we ask is, is it right to condemn another person's religious faith and practice? Why or why not? Mm-hmm. And then as a follow-up to that, what about the condemnation of Matthew 7, 1, judge not that you be not judged? How do you explain that? All right. We then, should have... Oh, go ahead. And then the, the, the other question is, can we make can we make the judgment that, as our emailer asked or identified, denominational attendees are necessarily going to hell? Can we make that judgment? Uh, yes or no? And then as a follow-up to that, can you give any specific examples of denominational attendees that you think will certainly go to hell if they continue in their present practice. All right. We're looking forward to your participation, and uh, we have uh, some participants lined up already, and we'll probably have more as the hour goes on, so be sure to join in the discussion. First up, uh, via Skype tonight, we have Mike from Orleans, Indiana. Mike, welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. Oh, let me get Mike on. Oh, Mike, hold on. Here we go. Mike, how about now? Mike, can you hear us? All right. Are you, am, am I live now? You're, You're on. You're on. We hear you loud and okay. clear. Okay. Yeah. We had we were trying to hook up uh, a Skype connection with you last week, Mike, and it just was absolutely too frustrating at the last moment to get it done. So I'm glad we were able to get all the wires connected tonight. I'm glad you're joining us. You frequently uh, participate with us via emails and uh, phone calls, but uh, uh, we're glad to have you where we can see your smiling face tonight. That's right. Yeah. We, well, yeah. I'm glad to be here. And uh, also on the phone uh, to start things off, Steve from uh, near Detroit, Michigan is on the phone. Steve, welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. Hello. Steve, Steve often listens to the virtual Bible study and sends in emails. Steve, we're glad you're joining us as well. Well, we've got the roundtable going here, and so let, let, go. let me give you another email that I just got uh, just just before the program went on the air. This is from a new listener, DJ, and he said, "I just joined your broadcast because I just found out about this uh, it this past week. So I'm sorry for responding late to the question. But the reason I want to read DJ's email is because he expresses some of the same kind of concerns that have prompted this study." He says, this does cause me some distress. In my view and opinion, this is Christianity 101 because of verses like, Judge not, lest you be judged, for as you judge, so shall you also be judged. This isn't talking about one's conclusion. It's referring to how you came to them, your thought processes or lack thereof, as it were. Or the old favorite, speck speck of dust and log warning that Jesus gave the Son of God. Uh, He earned the right to judge no other human has before him or since. Now get that expression. Jesus earned the right to judge. No other human has earned the right to judge before or since. We can discern who or where we should study or submit to teaching, but never, in my opinion, so far as to judge, especially never ascribing sentence on another's immortal soul. That's very dangerous territory, and it may well be a sin of ignorance. Rather, let us come together in unconditional love, tolerance, patience, and so forth, and enjoy our different perspectives of doctrine, scripture, God, the apostles, biblical incidents, and wisdom, life issues of concern, and so forth, to edify our triune God, support our faith in him, and our appreciation of other brother and sisters in Christ. So, uh, DJ, we're glad you're listening. Uh, this is an important subject, and I hope you'll listen, because we're going we're gonna to take a position different than what you've expressed in your email uh, I hope you'll take the time to consider what we're going to say here because it, it, uh, we, we want to challenge your thinking a little bit because we're going to disagree with some of the things you expressed there. And if you are on the line tonight, we hope you'll challenge us back. If you disagree, uh, we'll look forward to hearing from you. But we do appreciate your email and uh, your perspective. Uh, a lot of verses come to mind. You want to get into those now with him, or we? Well, let's, let's see. Maybe Steve. Maybe Steve in Michigan had a thought he wanted to start us out with. Steve, have you got some thoughts? 
Well, yeah. Uh, first, I just want to thank you, Greg, for last week. You you uh, corrected me. You indicated I was wrong with regards to the, the Greek word krino, um, and I was. And that was actually due to my part because I wrote the email quite in haste. And uh, I thought to myself I should have written it uh, and checked up on that word, but I didn't. And so you kind of humbled me, but uh, I appreciate that and, and correcting me for that. Well, I, I, that that no problem, and and I hope I did I did it in a way in a that I didn't put you off. I, uh, oh no! Sometimes Not when we all. sometimes when we get flying around, especially at the end of the program, we we don't have time to to maybe. Uh, right. uh, consider our, measure our words as carefully as we ought to. And I, I didn't want to come across as harsh, but uh, I did. I did think that based on what I understood, that that, that was incorrect on the Greek words. Right. There, no, but. no, I, I really appreciate it. But you know, I, in my experience, I, I don't know too many people that call themselves a denomination nowadays. I mean, uh, when I first started uh, teaching those of a denomination like Calvinism, we know them to be a denomination. But they'll call themselves non-denominational, and it's kind of rare to to see anyone that calls themselves a denomination. So nowadays, it seems like you kind of have to prove that they are a denomination. Uh, but usually, I don't even get that far. Well, that's an interesting point because Mike, I'm sure you found it. Denominationalism is sort of a, a nasty word in the religious climate today. Well, yeah, and I think you guys know this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart because of my background and I've had a lot of association and even involvement in a lot of the denominations. And I want to stress I was before I became a Christian. And I think that statement that I just made helps you understand I don't, I don't believe you can be denominational. If we understand what, you know, I think we'll get into that by the end of this topic. But people lost in the denominations are not saved. And that's the very reason, if they were, then my coming out of the denominations and, and uh, obeying the gospel, it was irrelevant. It didn't, it didn't mean anything at all. And I don't want to backtrack at all, but I guess maybe I'm, I'm not being totally honest about that. If, if you'll permit me just a second, I won't dwell on this, but I think one thing that we've got to do is we've got to be careful to understand just exactly why denominationalism is wrong and the reason that it's wrong is in the sense that it's unbiblical from the very beginning. And so some, you know, for example, if you look at the the definition of what a denomination is, I looked this up just out of curiosity on an Encarta Dictionary online, and it defines it as, quote, a religious grouping within a faith that has its own system of organization, end quote. The key words there is its own system of organization. That means it's extra-biblical. In other words, just because something resembles Christianity does not make it Christianity. I resemble my father in some ways, but I'm not my father, my, my biological father, I mean. And so I, I think it's important that we understand by its very definition, the, the word denomination itself means a part of something. And I've I, I got to be honest with you, I'll, I'll use the word like everybody else does for clarity's sake, but I really disdain the word denomination because I think it is, is a, a totally inaccurate way of describing what we're talking about tonight. The Bible does not talk about denominationalism whatsoever in any way, shape, or form. It talks about false teachers. It talks about you know sectarian problems like they had in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10. You know, we, we had uh, in that text, we had some people calling themselves of a Paul, of Apollos, of Cephas, and so forth, and other people saying, I'm of Christ. That was sectarianism. But denominationalism is not even addressed in the Bible because there is no such thing. That, that is the whole 
concept of denominationalism originated with the mind of man, not with the mind of God, because and, you can read your Bible from cover to cover. You'll never find Baptist, Presby- Presbyterian, Lutheran, any of those things in there. It's, and so it's if totally I wanted fun. to read about any of the modern denominations, I couldn't read about it in the, in the New Testament. They, they didn't exist in New Testament times. And so, so and as, as you suggest, Mike, it, the word itself is indicative of division, dividing something up. And, com- well, and, and the reason, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. I mean, okay. well, well, it's, it's just contrary to the will like of God. Yeah. Well, the reason that I don't like the word is because the word denomination implies that though they're a broken off sect, they're still part of the whole. Well, if someone has gone off and become their own and their own doctrine and their own their own teachings, their own beliefs that are unbiblical, just because they resemble Christianity does not mean that they are Christianity. The the very thing that made paganism pagan was that it was man created. And that's obviously condemned in the Old Testament and other places and even in the New Testament. So you know, I think maybe you can understand where I'm coming from. I, I don't think you're right. I believe that's a good summary, sort of a good summary of, of what we discussed last week. Go ahead, Jacob. It comes to Second Corinthians 4.13 comes to mind, uh, or First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Now, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. That seems to be counter to what Mike said, where if you're in a denomination, you're, this denomination is going to think one thing, this denomination is going to think another. This denomination is going to speak one thing. This denomination is going to speak another. Well, just to, just to illustrate, not to be unfair to our Methodist friends, but if I was going to be a Methodist, I would have to take something other than in addition to the Bible that would make me a Methodist. I might take part of the Bible, but I would also take the Methodist creed, and that would make me a Methodist. Right. If I, if I wanted to, to be a Lutheran, I would take maybe part of the Bible, certainly, but also the Lutheran creed, to make me a Lutheran. But if I just took the Bible, I wouldn't be a Lutheran or a Methodist because they're not mentioned in the Bible. And what they teach in their creeds is not mentioned in the Bible. If I just took the Bible, I'd just be a Christian. And and that's what we're appealing for, is that we just be Christians after the New Testament order, just follow the, the Word of God and nothing addition, in addition to that, uh, and, and do away with the sectarian division of denominationalism. That's what we're striving for. And uh, Stephen had Steve, you had a you had an argumentation or a line of thought that you were going down, and, and I interrupted you on that. Steve, you want to resume your thought if you still have it? Yeah, well, I just uh, wanted to get into that uh, second question you guys were uh, going to talk about. I think let's, let's, a lot of people would like to to, to head down because I mean, we, we we sort of touched on some of these things last week. Uh, let's hang, Steve, but, let's hang on to that. We're going to go to a okay. break. Well, we're going to interrupt him again. And we're going to go to a break. Never get you're up. Us. You're up. Right. From, we'll go. We, you start us off in the second question about is it right to condemn another person's religious faith and practice? We'll go to that right after the break. All right. We'll take a break and uh, get in line and get ready to give us a call. Send us an email or get in the chat room. If you're not logged in in the chat room, very easy. Click on the gear I think down at the bottom or the. Uh, or the, the sign-on, and uh, just sign in. Don't have to have any personal information. That way you can join in the chat room with other listeners. Don't go anywhere. We continue right after this. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the virtual Bible study right after these important messages. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. 
You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks us. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the virtual Bible study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. Here are some quotes worth pondering. If you get up one time more than you fall, you will make it through. It's always too soon to quit. Most people never run far enough on their first wind to find out if they've got a second wind. Never give up. Keep your thoughts and your mind always on the goal. If you work long enough, hard enough, and enthusiastically enough, sooner or later, the effort will bring forth fruit. Man, I wish I'd said that. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. Welcome back to the program. As we talk about denominationalism on the program tonight, we've... I think we've proven, hopefully we've proven from the scriptures that denominationalism is wrong because it is in contrast to so many clear Bible teachings. So now we got to decide, we got to go to the question that our emailer asked us, can we make a judgment that people are wrong? Is it right to condemn other people's religious faith and practice? We got an email from Chris in Atlanta who says, I believe we can make condemnations on other people's faith as long as we use God's word as the standard of measurement as an oversimplified example. I can safely condemn the the Wiccan beliefs, of course, that's the yeah. witches and so yeah. forth, because they are completely contrary to what the Bible teaches. Yeah. In other words, if you if you ran into a witch, uh, I guess, uh, uh, or a warlock, the, uh, the the male counterpart would be a warlock, wouldn't it, Anthony? Is that right? Yeah, uh, I think you're right. Oh, so uh, if if I ran into one of them, could I tell them that you're wrong about that, and if you continue in that? Uh, you're going to be lost eternally. I believe I can because, as as Chris says, those things are completely contrary to Bible teaching. Steve, we promised you a chance to take a shot at that question. Um, well, basically, you know, I, I go to Luke chapter 6, verse 37, and it says, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Uh, forgiven, you will be forgiven. Yeah, so there's a clear distinction between judge and condemnation. And that word condemnation is actually used only a handful of times. But if we go to John chapter 12, um, we see that it was Jesus' purpose on earth to not judge but to save men. And I think with regard to that, we'll actually just read it. Uh, John 12, verse, uh, in verse 44, it says, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me, uh, sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. So we see there that it wasn't even Jesus' purpose to, to come and judge. So therefore, likewise, we're not to judge, but we're to try and save as well. How be it, I will also indicate that uh, you know, I've I've had personal studies with people, and I remember one time I was talking to an individual, and he asked me that that blatant question that we hear so many times. So you think I'm going to hell? And I just bluntly answered yes. And a lot of brethren kind of uh, scolded me for that and said, "You can't do that. That that sort of judgment is reserved for God." So I think there has to be uh, a balance of how we understand this word. Uh, understand what I'm saying. I'm not. I'm not indicating that it's uh, that it's wrong for us to go to the Bible 
and say to an individual, look, here's what the scripture says. You know, you're involved in the sin. We can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9, and 10. You're involved in the sin and clearly states that they will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Uh, so clearly through God's word, uh, I, I believe that we can establish whether or not people are going to hell. But I, I believe that if we're just going to go out and about saying, hey, you're going to hell, hey, you're going to hell, you know, I, I don't think you're going to convert too many people well, that let, way. Let me ask you, Steve, and, let me ask you, Steve a follow-up on the judging question. Now, sure. you, you said you don't think we should judge at all, but, but I think maybe we, we're into some semantics here. In other words, if, if I'm going to say from 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 10, I, if, if I see a homosexual, if I'm, if I'm trying to teach a homosexual, and I tell him you can't continue in that sin, you've got to quit that, you've got to come out of that, because that sin, 1 Corinthians 6, you 9, will not 10, inherit the kingdom you, of heaven. says you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Am I not judge? I mean, are you not using the word judge to to describe that kind of an action that I might take in regards to uh, talking to a homosexual? Well, um, I'm not sure I understand the question, but I'm well, just... let me rephrase it. Let me rephrase it let, okay. because I want to make sure I'm 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 tracking can, with can, you. Okay, let me let me do it. Go ahead. Uh, go ahead. If if you Stephen, if you came in, t- in contact with a homosexual, he said, "I'd like to study the Bible with you." And you're studying. You come along to First Corinthians chapter five, and, and he's he's acknowledged he's a homosexual. He's not he's not hiding it. Could, right. could you tell him, sir, if you do not change your practice, you will not go to heaven. You will go to hell. Absolutely, I believe you can do that. Okay, but now you're just. Uh, I need to understand then. In your it, the way you're using the word judge, that's not judging. Uh, n- n- no, because if we go back to John chapter 12, verse 47, uh, it says, If anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word I have spoken will judge him in the last day. So what I'm saying is that through God's word, absolutely. But I think when it comes to that word condemnation we saw in Luke chapter 6, it means to pronounce guilty. Uh and I think you had a listener last week named Frank from Indianapolis that indicated that you, know, you have to allow some room for them to possibly change. So I, what I'm trying to say is if you say, you know, I know for sure 100% you're going to hell. But, you know, that I don't believe that we can do that. But to say, hey, you know, you're wrong in this area, uh, that that is judgment, but you're using God's word to do the judging. Oh, it's yeah. not... You. Well, well, you know that, what I mean? Well, uh, okay. If if that's what you mean, then I'm I'm with you on that. That in other words, I I don't have a right to tell somebody. Listen, I just don't like that, and based upon the my on my preference that I don't like what you're doing, I'm going to condemn you for doing it. I, I can't do that. Uh, but Correct. but Jesus himself said in John seven twenty four, judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Jesus Correct. told us to judge righteous judgment. I think that righteous judgment is when we base it upon the standard of God's word. Let's go back to John chapter 12 that you brought up, Steve. I think we may be taking it a little bit out of context. In beginning in verse 44, Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he, say, and he that seeth me seeth him that sent me. I am come uh, uh, a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Notice verse 48. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me. He gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. 
And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. I think Jesus is deferring his authority, showing his authority is from God. He's not the, he, he was coming uh, with authority from God. That what his message that he was presenting was from God. And if you don't listen to him, don't you don't worry about listening to him. Listen to his words. God says you're going to be judged. Uh, and uh, I, I got to tell you, Jesus Jesus did a good bit of condemning of right. people's practice. I mean, if you want to if you want to get a good taste of that, read Matthew 23, where over and over again he said, "Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites." In verse 27, he said, For ye are likened to whited sepulchres, which indeed appear out beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. So even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous to men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Right. And I mean, he repeats woe and, uh, to the scribes and Pharisees over and over again there and calls them hypocrites. So uh, I think you're right, Jacob, that Jesus is saying that his, his the, the ultimate judgment is from the Father, and he was there doing the will of the Father. Right. But not that he wasn't condemning people in their sinful practices, because clearly he did. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I totally agree with that. I'm sorry, I, I'm not being clear, but I just, you know, trying to yeah. do a kind of hate. Okay, well, I want to make sure we're on the call. I want to make sure we're on the same page. Mike, you got any input on that? Well, I think maybe what we're doing is we're, we're uh, we need to be careful when we look at passages, whether we're talking about making judgments or judging people to hell. I think there's also a difference between judging people and what their actions and judging people to hell. Actually judging an individual and saying they are going to hell, obviously that belongs to God. Okay, that that's in his realm ultimately. Now can I look at an individual though and say this sin is going to lead you there if you don't change? Well, yes, and so I can I can judge that individual based on the sin that they're committing and I think making a judgment about the sin. I know that this is a sin, and so I know that that ac- action is wrong. Um, but the one thing that I'd, I'd probably you know, interject here, if we're, as long as we're talking about whether or not we have a right to condemn another person's religious faith and practice, that was the question. I, you know, We could come back to these if you want, but very quickly, I would cite nine reasons why we do have a right to judge a person's faith and practice. Number one, if we don't, if, if religious, all these here, if we don't, if religious faith and practice do not matter, then number one, passages warning us against false teachers become nonsensical. Okay, so if, if I don't have a right to judge, how do I know who a, a false teacher is? Number two, warnings to heed doctrine become irrelevant. So, you know, if I'm told to heed doctrine, well, I can't make a judgment on doctrine. Number three, it, it makes defining who a Christian is an impossibility. And number four, it, it makes saving souls, in my opinion, exponentially impossible. I don't have a right to say whether or not somebody is saved or lost. Number five, it, it voids scriptures that tell us that they're written so that they can be understood. You know, if, if I don't have a right to judge anybody, I can't say, well, you're misunderstanding the scriptures. And... Number six, then faith doesn't come by hearing God's word, Romans ten seventeen. You know, we, we base our faith based upon what we can read. And so I guess faith doesn't really come by hearing mm-hmm. God's word. I can't hold anybody to what the scriptures say. Mm-hmm. And also, if, if faith and practice don't matter, then why are religious people going to be lost? Remember, you know, Jesus talked about many people are going to say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? 
Did we not cast out demons in your name? And yet Jesus is going to say to those people, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Lawlessness being against the scripture. Number eight, it avoids the most, uh, most of the New Testament scriptures. Because the scriptures themselves, you know, like when Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.16, it talks about one of the, the uses for scripture is for correction there, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, instruction, and righteousness, for correction. And, and number nine, it, it ultimately nullifies the need to do anything whatsoever. Uh, I you think know. those are nine great points. I think I see a sermon coming on, Mike. Well, now um, we know what. Now we know what Mike's story. I'm sorry to dictate so much time, but no, that's uh, great. That's great. Let, uh, we're we're going to run into a break time here, Jacob. But let me read John's comment in the chat yeah, room. Yeah, let's do that. I was going to do that. Go ahead. John says it. It is our own. Is it our own condemnation of the person, or are we using the Bible? Uh, is it the Holy Spirit that was to convict it? It is the Holy Spirit that was to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. He has done that. We are simply teachers of God's word. Should I say to the person, you're going to hell? Or would it not be better to lay the foundation by showing them the truth and how their belief conflicts with the truth? We can help them to see the consequence, but based upon straight Bible teaching. So John is stressing, I think, what I think the right answer there is that uh, we got to make sure when we're talking to people and if we are trying to convince them that they're in error, we got to base that not upon self, but not upon a, the Bible. Not on my judgment, but on God's judgment, on go. his work. Yeah. All right. Uh, Anthony, you had a, a quick thought. Well, I was just going to say on the discussion on, on was it was John chapter 12, I think one other, I think, Jacob, your explanation is probably the, the best. Uh, one other way to look at it, when Jesus said, I didn't come to judge, he was saying that was not his mission at True. that time. True. He didn't come to uh, you know, well, render final judgment on final anybody. Judgment, right. So that's for later. So that's how I understood that. Okay. Uh, Steve, uh, any comments uh, on your end? Uh, well, I, I agree with that. And when Jesus condemned, it was the Father's will for him to, to do that. Right. Uh, right. Real quickly, a comment from Bill in Texas says, In conversation with a denominational person, I would not be so blunt to come out and say, You are lost. I would let the Scriptures do that for me. You could use many scriptural examples to put the, get the point over, such as Cornelius was a God-fearing man, prayed three times a day, gave to the poor, but yet he lacked something. Peter was sent to him, told him there was something he must do. Was Cornelius lost before he was baptized? Of course he was. Other scriptures tell us so, Mark 16, 15, and 16, and a host of others. So Bill is saying the same thing. you got to let the Bible be the convincing agent here. But there's no problem with saying you need to change and that uh, the Bible teaches that you'll be lost if you don't. All right, good. Guys, if, if doctrine doesn't matter, how, help me make sense of passages like Second John 1.10 that says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him in, into your house nor greet him. Right. If doctrine doesn't matter, what do I do with passages like that? Yeah. I would and be clueless. I want to go back to the, to the email that we had from the new listener, DJ, and say, DJ... Uh, please carefully consider what we're saying here. This this is this is different than what you suggested. You, you suggested that we should uh, enjoy different perspectives of doctrine, scripture, God, and the apostles, and so forth. But but it seems clear from the Word of God that we've got to make a determination: are these are these people teaching and practicing truth? Uh, it doesn't matter whether it is they, they agree with our opinion, but do they agree with the Word of God? Are they, as Ephesians 5, verse 11 references, an uh, unfruitful work of darkness? If so, we're told to have no fellowship with them, not to enjoy their them with unconditional love, tolerance, and patience, and enjoy their different perspectives of doctrine, Scripture, God, the apostles, biblical incidents, and wisdoms, 
uh, Bible tells us something different. Yeah. All right. And Jake, Jacob, you mentioned the unfruitful works of darkness. Ephesians 5.11 says not to have any fellowship with them, but also it says rather expose them. Mm-hmm. And so how are you going to do that without judgment? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. All right. Stephen, Stephen, do you have any other comments? Uh, well, I, I, I kind of did have a, a question, and hopefully it doesn't get too much off topic. Let's take the question. Let's, let's, let's take. Uh, we'll come back to you again, Stephen. Stephen, hang on. We'll come back to you again right after right, the break. Right after the break, uh, we'll look forward to your comments as well. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview.com. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. As we struggle with our daily walk, it's easy to start feeling sorry for ourselves. After all, we're trying to live pure lives in the midst of a very wicked world. There are temptations and trials on every hand. And on top of that, if we take firm stands on moral or doctrinal principles, some of our own brethren will likely brand us as fanatical or extreme. It's often hard to do what's right under such circumstances. But wait a minute. As we read our Bibles, we see that God's faithful people have always suffered for their convictions. The enemies of truth have consistently persecuted anyone who tried to do right. And quite often, the strongest persecutions have come from people who claimed they were doing the will of God. Take a moment to recall how the prophets of the Old Testament were mistreated. Think about how the early Christians suffered for their faith. Recall the ultimate example, of course, that of Jesus Christ himself and how the Jewish leaders cried out to have him brutally murdered. Furthermore, we should take note of the fact that there are many places in the world today where people are severely persecuted for trying to serve God. In Washington Watch, we read about the conditions in China where it says, quote, the communist government has called for the eradication of the independent Christian movement. Believers are arrested for holding prayer meetings, preaching, and distributing Bibles. In the Sudan, those who profess Christianity are being, quote, crucified, kidnapped, and often sold into slavery. Evidence suggests that entire male populations of villages have been crucified, including boys as young as nine years old. In Saudi Arabia, the people endure, quote, severe beatings and imprisonment for professing their faith. Again, all these quotes are from Washington Watch, a publication of the Family Research Council. Yes, we have it hard sometimes. But in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4, it says, You have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And that's certainly true. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6 says, Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hi, my name is Mike Holt. My wife and I, we love listening to the virtual Bible study. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the program as we talk about denominationalism and we continue. Uh, we're, we're dealing we're with getting... a question, Jacob. We're dealing with the question. Let me ask it again. Is it right to condemn another person's religious faith and practice? R- real quick, uh, Anthony, you sent a, an email in last week in which you, you said... You don't even remember it. <laughs> you said, yes, Jesus did it many times. We're told to... Try the spirits and judge righteous judgment. We're also told, by their fruits you shall know them, which implies judgment between false teachers and true teachers. And I think that's exactly right. But, again, as we're trying to stress, the, the basis has to be the Word of God. All right. We, are, we con- promised Steve we'd come right we, back. We, can we continually interrupt Steve? Steve, your, your question. That's all right. Um, well, uh, let me just make a, another real quick point. I was just thinking about um, in John chapter 3, verse 17. It's kind of interesting that the translators use the word condemn there. It actually means the same word as uh, judgment, but um, uh, 16 through uh, the 21, uh, I won't take the time to read it, but it talks about 
Jesus coming and uh, not to condemn the world, but to save the world, and then um, he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God, and essentially we know that because it's of his word. Um, but I, I, I wanted to um, ask you, because the, the writer who wrote the email that, that uh, caused you guys to go into this topic um, he, he talked about denominational attendees. Now, I'm not sure what the intention was when he said denominational attendees. Um, I'm assuming he's, he means people that are faithful to that group. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm just kind of wondering if if it would be wrong for, and I emailed you about this last, last week, if it would be wrong for someone necessarily to uh, go to a denomination uh, for the purpose of, teaching the lost i don't think it's wrong to go to that venue uh i have done that myself many times i think the apostle paul did when he went into the synagogues of the jews every city he went to the first place he hit was the synagogue of the jews Mm -hmm. to try and find teaching prospects so i certainly don't think there's anything wrong with that i I, i've personally always thought that you know you wouldn't want to forsake the assemblings of of the assembly of the saints to attend a, a denominational service. And you'd but have to be careful that what you were doing didn't uh, suggest su- approval. Or yeah, right. equate with fellowship for yeah. those things. Yeah. Right. yeah, but I don't think there's anything wrong with going there to, 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 to teach. I want to go back one more time, Steve, before, before we, we pass from John 12. The, the passage you brought up when Jesus said, I, uh, I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. In the New Testament, frequently we read what I often refer to as a not-but mm-hmm. construction. Uh, and and when, when you read that, it's, it's not a total prohibition on the first part, but it's a strong emphasis on the second part. Uh, uh, I was trying to think of an example here. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 27, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth into everlasting life. Now, Jesus said, he, Jesus wasn't saying don't work for your meat at all, but he's saying don't make that your primary emphasis. Mm-hmm. Make your primary emphasis laboring for that meat that endures into everlasting life. I think that's what we got here in John seven or John twelve forty seven when Jesus said, I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Jesus didn't come primarily for the purpose of saying, oh boy, I get to send every one of these people to hell. Yeah. He came primarily for the purpose that men could be saved. But that doesn't mean that he didn't also judge those who were wrong. It's That's a right. not-but passage. It, and, and so in those not-but constructions that you read in the New Testament, uh, I'll show you another one that, that some of our uh, uh, religious friends like to misuse. Uh, 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 Paul said... Uh, uh, Christ sent me, uh, this is 1 Corinthians 1, verse 17, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. And some people like to say, well, Paul said baptizing is not important. No, that's not what he's saying. But he's saying that wasn't his primary emphasis, wasn't on baptizing people, but on preaching the gospel. And not but. you gotta, you got uh, you got to be perceptive of those not but passages. All right. Uh, does like does that. that help, Steve? That helps a lot. Thank All right, you. good deal, good deal. All right, Steve, anything else before we let you go? No, I want someone else to take my spot. So. Thanks, okay, thanks for joining us, Steve. Your Appreciate your participation always on the Virtual Bible Study. Thank you. Good to hear from you, Steve. All right, uh, the line is open now. If you'd like to jump in and take Steve's seat, it's 877-381-4567. Mike's still on the line in Orleans, Indiana. Mike, any thoughts? Well, uh, I, I, 
which one are we on? Are we well, on well, seven one yet? Yeah, hang, let's let's move let's move toward the idea of well, they really kind of meld together. But let's uh, let, we want to talk about Matthew seven one real quickly. Uh, we've talked about that before on the virtual Bible study about. The, the passage is so often misused by people religiously. I think even last week we mentioned a lot of people who don't know anything about the Bible can quote Matthew 7, verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. But uh, I'm going to well, interrupt you. Guest 116 makes a good comment in the chat room. In general, seems preaching and teaching is watered down a lot more today than it was years ago on this subject. We won't, don't want to run someone off. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Uh, um, Mike, uh, get, give us some thoughts on Matthew 7, verse 1. Well, Matthew 7, verse 1, for starters, cannot mean that we are prohibited from making any judgments whatsoever. First of all, it is absolutely impossible to refrain from making a judgment. The irony of people who say, you can't judge me, you know, you're, you're making a judgment. Well, they're, they're making a judgment by that, saying that I can't make a judgment. That's right. They're judging us for judging. Right. <laughs> you're judging me for judging. So it is a, it, it's, a, it's an oxymoron to say, don't judge me. It, we all have to make judgments. We make judgments every day. And, and anybody who says they don't uh, clearly doesn't understand what judgment is. But if, if we don't make judgments, if, if Matthew 7.1 means that we cannot make a judgment, then other passages become nonsensical. For example, 2 Timothy 4.2, where Timothy was commanded, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. And then he says, Paul tells him, convince, rebuke, Exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Well, it doesn't matter what a person believes. Don't judge them. You don't. There's no need to teach. There's no no. And especially don't rebuke them. So what what on earth was Paul thinking? You know, didn't didn't Paul know that Jesus said don't judge? Well, well, clearly there's a contradiction there if that's what we take the passage to mean. So it must mean something else. And in Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen, remember that the word is also used there for correction. That all Scripture is given by inspiration of God that we we can correct people and instruct people. Well, if it doesn't matter what we believe, then we really don't need to correct and instruct. And so keeping those thoughts in mind, when you come to Matthew chapter 7, the the passage there, the entire chapter, is not about refraining from judging, but I would argue that it is about making righteous judgments. And if you look at the passages, you can study these you know, individually. Obviously, we don't have time to read the, the whole book, you know, the whole chapter tonight. But in Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6... Jesus made that statement there in the first verse, judge not that you be not judged. But in verse 2, he says, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So Jesus understood that we were going to make judgments. But I think all he was saying there is before you judge, first examine yourself. Because he goes on to say, first remove the plank from your own eye. And then you'll see clearly how to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So he expected us to remove the speck from our brother's eye, but we had to get our own life right first. Exactly. You you can't be a hypocrite with that beam in your eye while you're trying to get the speck out of your brother's eye. Take care of your own issues first, and then you can help your brother get the speck out of his eye. In fact, you should. Chris in Atlanta concurs. He says Matthew 7, verse 1, deals with judging hypocritically. We are to examine ourselves first and foremost, and then we can assist others. Later in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, uh, tells us we are to be fruit inspectors, uh, Chris says. And so he agrees uh, that uh, it's just condemning hypocritical judgment. Exactly right. I I think there's also an element here, too, in, in verses 7 through 12, 
judge others as God wants to, uh, as you want God to judge you. Because Jesus said there in verse 12, he said, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. So make that judgment. How, how do you want people to treat you? That's the golden rule, right? I, I don't want people to judge me by their own uh, prejudices and opinions, but I can't object if they judge me based upon the solid evidence of the Word of God. So, right. in other words, right. if I want to be judged, I don't want to be judged by by prejudice or personal opinion, but I, I can't object if people judge me by the Word because God Himself is doing that. So that's that's what I want people to do. use the word. If I'm wrong, show me in the word. And and well, that's, I think he's also in that passage. I think he's also talking about the failure to make righteous judgments, how they can have severe consequences. That's why he's saying enter by the narrow gate. That's a judgment. You yeah. have to make a judgment. Where what is the narrow gate? Broad is the way that leads to destruction. So be careful about the judgments that you're making because there are, there are serious consequences. Exactly right. Let's take our last break, Jacob, and then we've got to wrap this up. We'll go to the top of the hour, and we'll hopefully take a comment and a call from you at 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeu.com, the chat room as well. We'll go to the top of the hour right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Hello. Hey, Matt. No, I don't have any plans for Friday night. What are you doing? Oh, I won't be able to go with you to watch that movie. Because, Matt, the movie is rated R. Hey, why don't you just come over and hang out at my house Friday night? Great, I'll see you there. Being pleasing to God means that you may have to be different than the crowd. But don't be afraid to stand up for what's right. You just might find it is easier than what you expect. A message brought to you by College of Church Cry. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. There's a reason the South is known as the Bible Belt. A survey shows that Southerners are most active in their religious practices and beliefs. Six states had at least seven in ten people stating that religion is very important in their lives. Those states were Alabama, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Tennessee, and South Carolina. Mississippi was ranked the most religious state. That's via the Religious News Service. Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. We welcome you back to the program as we have a fast-paced and interesting discussion of denominationalism going on on the program tonight. I got an email from Perry in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee, who says... We are to try to reach out to the lost with the gospel. Thus, it involves making a judgment concerning who it is that is lost. We don't make this judgment based on our own think-sos, but it's based upon comparing a person's life with the word. Jesus teaches us in John 12:48 that it is the word that judges. Therefore, as we compare a person's life with the word, the word helps us to understand who is lost and who is saved. All right. Thanks, Good Perry. Comments, Perry. Thank you for those. And uh, John from Edmond, Oklahoma is on the line tonight. Uh, John, welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. Oh, hold on. There, we, Greg. there, there we go. We got you. Good to have you, John. I, I, I called John out and told him to give us a call. I wouldn't normally do that, but John has a similar program, so John's not uh, bashful to, uh, to speak. And John is uh, can be found at scripturalway.org on Tuesday nights at 730. All right, John, what do you think about our topic? Uh, give us give us a, a thumbnail of your thoughts on, on this question about judging other people. Well, I think very, very simply, a lot of it has to do with the way that we approach it when we go to them. You know, as we just said a moment ago, and I think in the email, we do have to look at the scriptures and let it tell us 
to define who is lost and who is not. Um, I have seen Christians sometimes approach a sense of with a sense of arrogance when they're talking to someone who's lost, and I think sometimes we can turn them away faster doing that than if we simply opened up the scriptures and let the Bible do the speaking for itself. And we, you've got it. You've got to speak where the Bible speaks, and speak as the Bible speaks on uh, making those condemnations. Yeah. And and there's uh, and, and it's uh, a, a very fine line, John. I think you agree sometimes to know the right thing to say in the right way. Uh, we, we've got it. We've got to get people alerted to their dangerous spiritual condition, but we've also got to do it in such a way that we don't just absolutely alienate them totally and they stop listening to us. Well, at the same time, I mean, John, yeah. uh, Paul didn't mince words. He said he said people that are justified by law were going to be fallen from grace. I mean, it doesn't get much more blunt than that. But, you know, when, when you give consideration to, for instance, when Paul was at the Aragopagus, um, he approached those people a little bit differently than he approached the Pharisees who should have known better. Well, yeah, that's true. I think you're exactly right. Yeah, that's a good point. And even Jesus did so. Uh, his his condemnation of the scribes and Pharisees was more harsh than, for instance, when he dealt with the Samaritan woman at the well. Exactly. So you're su- think, you're suggesting that we've got to sort of ass- uh, take an assessment of the situation and and the audience. I would think so. I mean, I'm. If you want to study with someone, I would suggest finding some core areas of common belief and start from there. And and then just take them, guide them to where they need to be, of course. Um, if you have to spell it out for them, then you need to spell it out, especially in, when it comes to the consequences. But most of the time, as soon as, as soon as they see where we differ, that's when the Bible really begins to speak for itself. That's right, and, and we got and, and we got to be we got to have the same rules. In other words, we got to we both got to be willing to say it's it must be proved from yeah. the scriptures. And if if we can agree to that, then we can come to it. If we agree to simply say let the scriptures speak and we'll do what they say, then we will come together in 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 faith and practice. But we've got to all have that same commitment to the word. This dovetails into your third and final right. question tonight, though. Can, go ahead, go can ahead. we make the judgment that denominational attendees are necessarily going to hell? I've been holding on to an email from our friend Aaron in Singapore, and i got to read this. Uh, John and Mike, listen to this. I think he really puts it in an interesting way. Aaron's a, Aaron always has some very insightful thoughts. and uh, Let me read this to you. He says, I understand that the final determination and judgment lies with God. I usually frame my position by saying that certain ones have not satisfied the requirements of uh, God describes in the Bible to be forgiven. But I don't think it's wrong to say that someone is going to hell who's not obedient. It is clear in the New Testament that Christians of the first century were not shy about considering others as lost, which I think is just another way of saying the same thing. Simon in Acts 8 was on a path that would cause him to perish. Paul wanted his fellow Israelites to be saved, Romans 10, verse 1, because they had not submitted to the righteousness of God. If he wanted them to be saved, then he was admitting that they were lost at the time. If the questioner hesitates to say that others are going to hell when they are practicing denominational error, I wonder if he also hesitates to say that some are going to hell if they do not believe in Jesus in any sense. After all, even those people will have their judgment eventually pronounced by God. But it is not inappropriate for us to apply one of the rules Jesus gave. In John 8, 24, unless you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. If your, questioner, if your questioner, who started our discussion, hesitates to say that one is going to hell because it sounds like he's judging in God's place 
standing in God's place as judge, then he should be consistent and not say it about anyone because God is judge of all. Now, do you get his point, Jacob? He's saying, if I can say that a person who doesn't believe in Jesus is going to hell, right? then if I can't judge anybody, then I can't even say that. I have to be careful about even saying that. Right. Uh, he, should also be care- he should also avoid saying that anyone is going to heaven, even himself, because God judges that too. Oh, that's true. The converse would be true, wouldn't it? <laughs> that's right. At the same time, I understand the hesitation to sound as if one is pronouncing judgment in God's place, and I usually express myself differently. I, conduct the funeral service- I conducted the funeral services for two of my grandparents, and I do not believe that I said that either of them would be in heaven. God will judge them, though I have reason to expect his verdict will be favorable for them. And then he continues, and this is good. Uh, I usually try to refrain from making comments that suggest I judge the eternal fates of people. I don't think it's necessary to interpret the phrase going to hell in that manner. For example, if we hear details about a particular criminal case, we may say that someone in that particular, uh, we may say to someone that a particular defendant is guilty. We're not implying that we're part of the judicial process or that we have the power or of their fate in our hands. We're simply saying that based upon the evidence that's available to us, guilt or innocence can be concluded from that evidence. If we say that a particular person is going to hell, we're saying the same thing. Based on the evidence available to us, since we know what God has said about punishment for sin and the requirements of forgiveness, and the fact that a particular person has not met those requirements, we can predict the outcome. Just as a, in a human trial, there may be evidence we don't know, but but he goes on, quotes First Timothy five twenty four and twenty five. Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment, but those of some men follow later. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. But God has revealed enough for us to know what it takes to be saved and to determine, in many cases, whether another person has done it or not. Yeah. So I think those are good comments from Aaron good. in Singapore. Good comments. Yeah, John or Mike, any comments on those? Well, I think uh, I think he's right. I mean, that's I think the point is very well made. All right. The, the Bible says what it says about an individual's outcome based on their path or on. I like the analogy of uh, uh, you, you hear about the details of a criminal case, John and Mike, and you say, "Man, that guy is guilty." Well, you're not you're not the judge, and you're not on the jury, but you right. you can you can take the evidence that is available and draw a conclusion. Uh, and and that's effectively what we're doing when we're talking to lost sinners. We're saying, or or for that matter, people who are involved in denominational error. We're saying what you're doing doesn't jive with what the Scripture says. It's it's in contradiction to the Word of God. You can't be doing things in contradiction to the Word of God and being be acceptable to Him. Uh, from what I'm able to determine based upon the evidence that is available to me. You're in a dangerous spiritual condition. I, I think we're all hesitant to say, hesitant to just bluntly say, you're going straight to hell. We can be more tactful than that, but we can't back away from the facts of the matter. All right, I've I got a comment in the chat room. I believe this is Harold. He says, I often wonder if our hesitance in discerning judgment is based on our imperfection. Paul told the Corinthians that if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged or condemned uh, with the world. 1 Corinthians 11 Verses 33 and 34. We must have assurance that God's word is truth, the truth about ourselves and others. And uh, perhaps that, that that is why we need to be a little bit hesitant is because well, we, we don't have a perfect understanding. In trying to teach other people, we should never come across as self-righteous individuals. We don't right. want to do that. And so there there is an approach to use. But at the same point, Mike, you, you and I talked about 
some people are just as, uh, almost ashamed to take a stand for certain necessary truths. Well, I think that's an, an epidemic that is sweeping among Christians right now today. Uh, it's, it, it, I think that it, it may stem from different areas. You know, I have wondered before, do we fail to take hard stands on certain issues and feel unashamed for what stand we take? Is it because, you know, we don't know the scriptures as well as we ought to? Or, you know, are we just uh, afraid of confrontation? You know, I, I was thinking as we were talking about all this, Second uh, John chapter one and verse nine. Well, it, but even back up to verse eight, Paul expressed concern. He says, "Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward." And he says, "Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. And if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him nor greet him." At, uh, into your house nor greet him for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds and you know so I think what John's trying to help us to see is I think a similar idea that the Hebrew writer was you know alluding to when he talked about it in Hebrews 4.12 the word of God being you know sharper than any two-edged sword that that sword the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart that there comes a point in time I, I, I agree with everybody who said by the way that we need to be very careful be tactful I think there's one one it's one thing to understand that somebody's lost and to lovingly and carefully help them to see for themselves that they're lost based upon what the scriptures say, not what I what I believe. But I think there's also another side of this that we've got to be careful um, that we're firm in our own minds that we we understand that these people are lost. And there comes a point in time when somebody just flat out rejects God's word that we have to be able to decide that this person isn't inter- interested in understanding the truth. And, and I think lost. I, I think that in it, different situations are going to be different. Uh, if someone comes right out and asks me point blank, do you believe that what I'm doing is wrong? Do you believe that what I'm doing will cause me to be lost eternally? I, I can't be ashamed to give an answer. Now, I'm, I might approach that differently. If they, didn't, if, if, if they don't throw that question up to you right in your face and force you to take a stand... Then we might then that I might come at it from a, a several different directions, trying to get them to draw the conclusion themselves. But if if you know, so di- different circumstances will dis- demand different approaches. But bottom line, we can't be ashamed to say, based upon what I understand, the Word of God teaches, what you're doing is not in compliance. I also think where we're at in a Bible study with an individual makes a difference. When we open a Bible study, we try to do everything that we can to let the scriptures speak for themselves. But as the study progresses and as it becomes more and more evident that they're not willing to accept what the scriptures clearly teach, I think, you know, in a loving and tactful way, I, I try to close a study with saying that I'm, I'm scared, I'm concerned for their soul, and I believe them to be lost, and I, I hope they'll change their mind. Otherwise, you know, you've I just been wasting to, your time because it really didn't matter. Right. If I don't believe that they're lost, why would I waste my time studying with someone? Yeah. You know, they're, they're perfectly fine the way they are. All right. Uh, John, any closing comments? Actually, I think that's a very good point. The majority of our discussion here revolves around a situation where someone would ask us, do you think I'm going to hell? We normally wouldn't bring it up in the conversation, by the way, I'm studying with you because you're going to hell. It's more when we're asked the question that are we, are we prepared to answer it. Correct. Yep. Um, we, 
we're, we're out of time. Mike, you got any further comments? I, I've made my comments. I, I think I've taken more than my share of time tonight. Thanks, Mike. Hang on a minute. I'll, I'll talk to you after we go, sign off. And, and John, thank you. John, thanks for being with us well. tonight. ScripturalWay.org. ScripturalWay.org. Tuesday at seven thirty. Tuesday Central nights time. at seven thirty. They got a, they got a similar program to us, and you can join in that study as well out of Edmond, Oklahoma. Thanks, John. Love to have you. Thank, thank you. you. All right, Anthony's been behind the controls, and uh, Anthony. Uh, what are your observations and your comments? Tonight? No, great, great couple of uh, studies the, uh, this week and last. I think, uh, you know, one parting comment. I think the reason why this is such a hot button issue is the majority of the religious world uh, doesn't think there is an absolute truth. So when you come and say you you mean to tell me that I'm going to hell, they're they're balking at that because they don't think that anybody knows. Who's going to heaven? That's, that's right. That's so it. I think because they don't accept the as you said absolute truth. Right. So we have to start with the Bible, as has been said tonight, and and let them draw their own conclusions and start with the Word. And uh, anyway, so great, great study. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks for your work on the board, Jacob. Next week we're, we're out of time. Yeah, we're out of time. Next week I think we're going to uh, try to deal with a viral video on the internet. Some of our listeners have no doubt seen it already. Uh, if you haven't, go to YouTube and do a search for I hate religion, but I love Jesus. Okay. Uh, it's been hit millions of times. There's a guy, sort of a rap poem a guy does about the, his condemnation of modern religion, but he loves Jesus. Okay. We're going to try to deal with that concept next week. All right. Uh, we'll also remind you, you can podcast a sermon now. That podcast will be updated later tonight if you are subscribed to that. If you're not, find out more at collegeview.com. And we will look forward to that discussion next week. Dad, thank you for your time tonight. Thanks, Jacob. And we appreciate you for joining in on the Virtual Bible Study. We look forward to being with you this time again next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.